Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. It's good to sing that song, Away in a Manger, today. It's just kind of a, since I was a little kid, that's always one of those fun Christmas songs, one, one that we remember. And I, I have pictures in my mind of singing that, like in, in kids' choir presentations at school or church or wherever, and just kind of tells the story and really highlights for us one of the significant parts of the whole Christmas story. That when God came on that first Christmas, when Jesus was born, he came in such a, a small and vulnerable way. You know, God came to earth and he wanted us to know that he was like us, that he came in a way that he could relate to us. He came in a way that, that was humble, that was, that was lowly. We, you know, we sing about being away in a manger. And there's that powerful truth that's there. And so it's a beautiful song and one, one I'm glad that we sing. Except I think sometimes what we do is we sing that song and we, we take... We take the baby Jesus, and maybe we have a nativity scene that, that we have in our, in our yard or under our Christmas tree or up on a mantle or somewhere. We have that nativity scene, and we take baby Jesus, and we put him over here away in a manger, and then we leave him there for the whole Christmas season, right? And then we try to go through it on our own. He's away in a manger over there, and we're doing it on our own, and it's important for us to recognize this beautiful part of the story, the vulnerability, the little baby Jesus, but what's interesting is the book of John, the gospel of John, does not tell us that story at all. Matthew does, Luke does. We have four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark doesn't talk about Jesus' birth at all. Matthew and Luke give us the details we know about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and King Herod and all those stories. Those all come from what Matthew wrote and from what Luke wrote. But John doesn't tell us anything, which is a surprise to me. Because if anybody should have told us the Christmas story, if anybody probably knew the Christmas story, it was the Apostle John. Let me, let me fast forward the story from Christmas, and let, let's go to the Easter story for just a moment, if you will, to the crucifixion that we read about in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, it's the story of how Jesus, and, and, and you probably know this or have heard this somewhere along the line, how Jesus was born, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and then he lived a life without any sin. He never did anything wrong, and yet he was convicted as a criminal by the authorities of that time, and they sentenced him to be executed, to die on a cross, to die a criminal's death, even though he had done nothing wrong, and yet that was the path that God chose so that through Jesus' death and then his resurrection, we could know that our sins are forgiven and that we have life and we can have hope because he's our savior and our Lord, right? So we're excited about that part. In that story, there's a, there's a certain part where John, the author of this book, is at the cross. So he's standing there at the cross of Jesus as Jesus has been crucified. And we read this, John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby... He said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It's interesting there. It says that while Jesus was on the cross, he turned his attention 
to his mother and someone who's referred in the text as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, in, in that time, in the first century, in ancient times, if you were writing a history, if you were writing a book, and you were going to refer to yourself as a part of that history, it wasn't uncommon for them not to use their name, but to refer to themselves in some other way. So several times in the book of John, when John speaks about himself, he doesn't talk about himself by name. He doesn't say me. He doesn't call himself John. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Here's why. Because Jesus had lots of followers, and he had 12 disciples, and he had three in an inner circle, but John was his best friend. Like when you read the Gospels, you get this feeling that of all the people that, that, that Jesus had a friendship with, John was his best friend. So now here he is, he's at the cross, and he looks out, and he sees his mom. And this is kind of cool, because in, in the deepest moment of his agony, in just another verse or two, Jesus physically dies on the cross. In the moment of his deepest agony, he's concerned for the well-being of his mother, because his other siblings aren't there. If you remember from what we talked about last week, they rejected Jesus. They didn't believe in him. They weren't there. John, many believe, was actually Jesus' cousin, that John's mom and that Jesus' mom were sisters. So there was a family connection there. And so in that moment, Jesus looks at Mary and says, Mary, John's your son now. And John, she's your mother now. And I bet he gave that look like, and I'm watching you, you know? Take care of her, or I'll take care of you, right? It's that moment. And it says there that John took that so seriously that from that point on, he took Mary into his home. Tradition tells us, excuse me, tradition tells us that later John went to be the pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus, and tradition says that John was buried in Ephesus. Tradition also says that Mary was buried in Ephesus, which leads us to believe that Mary spent the rest of her life living in John's home. So you can't tell me that there weren't times that they were sitting at the dinner table that Mary looked at John and said, have I ever told you about the night he was born? You know she did that, right? She's a proud mom. You know how I know that? Because I do it to my kids every time they have a birthday. Like every time I have a birthday, I say to them, Clayton had his birthday just this week. And I said to him, I said, hey, man, have I ever told you about the night you were born? It was really, it's kind of a cool story because there was this, we were living in Milwaukee and there was this nasty ice storm. We were supposed to have church that night and it got canceled. And there's all this, you know, backstory and all this kind of stuff. Clayton, I just, I just told him to it this week, Clayton, did I ever tell you about the night you were born? He looks at me and he goes, yes, rolls his eyes and walks away. <laughs> right? I bet John didn't walk away from Mary. My kids are seeing that, right? I bet John didn't walk away from Mary. But how many times do you think that Mary looked at John and said, have I ever told you about the night he was born? You know they talked about it. You know they shared that story. You know that John heard it firsthand from the mother of Jesus. He probably heard it from Jesus himself in the years that he spent with him, knew him, especially if maybe the, the theologians are right and they were family, there were connections that happened there. You know he heard that story. The one that we read about in Luke chapter two, where it says that she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know he heard that story, but he doesn't put it in his gospel. Like when he writes the story about Jesus, he leaves that to Matthew and leaves it to Luke. And you have to ask why. I think there's, I think there's two reasons in, in my mind. One is 
that God chose to let Matthew and Luke tell that story and, and didn't place it in John's heart. We believe that the scriptures were inspired, that the Holy Spirit worked through holy men to write God's word, and that when he did that, he inspired every word. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit did not stir in John to write the part about the shepherds or the wise men or Mary or Joseph or the angels. He, he didn't write that part. So that's one reason why. Here's the other reason why, because that's not why John wrote his book. Now, John will, and we'll see this in just a moment, he'll talk about the incarnation. That's the phrase we use to talk about how Jesus left heaven and came to earth, how he took on human flesh, how he became like one of us. John's gonna talk about the incarnation. That's the Christmas story. He's gonna tell it to us, but he tells it differently, and there's a reason why he tells it differently. John's purpose was not to make Jesus small. See, in some ways, that's what we read about in Matthew and Luke. And it's okay, it's good, it's important. In some ways, it took the story of Jesus, of a God who's so big and made him small in that manger and made him personal and made him someone that we can relate to so that he can understand who we are. That's such a huge part of this story. It's important that we sing away in a manger. That's, that's a critical part. Like, like, get that part of the story. That's not why John's writing to you. John's purpose is not to make Jesus small. John's purpose was to make the incarnation big. Like John was writing so that you would see a part of this Christmas story, so that you wouldn't miss a part of this story of what happened in Bethlehem that night, that you would see it from a whole different perspective. He wasn't writing to make Jesus small, although that's important. John was writing because he wanted to make the whole thing big. And when he wrote about it, here's how he described it, because he didn't want you to miss it. John chapter one, verse 14. He says, the word, remember that, that name for Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Like John's wrapped up the Christmas story in that verse, that the word came from heaven and took on flesh so that he could be with us. The reason in, in part that he wrote this was because during that season of time when he's writing this near the end of the, the first century, he's most likely the pastor of an influential church in the city of Ephesus. And he's writing this because there's, there's false teaching that he has cor to correct. There was a heresy called docetism that then grew into these other heresies that was challenging what people thought about Jesus. Now there were different streams of it during that time, but here's the bottom line. People were saying, it just doesn't seem right that he was, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. See, we believe that Jesus was, was completely God, that he was God in human flesh, but that he was also completely man, that he, that he took on a human form just like you and I have. We believe this to be the truth that scripture teaches to us. But what they said, this, 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 this heresy at that time, said it only seemed like that. They said it only seemed like he was human, but, but that was just like a, like, almost like a ghost. It, it didn't really happen. Or they said it just seemed like he was God, but, but he only took on God qualities for a while. And John's saying, time out, time out, time out. If he's not fully God, then he doesn't have the power to do what he came to do. And if he's not fully man, then his death on the cross lacks the punch that needs to forgive my sins and then see life because of his resurrection. John says, you can't have one without the other and have this story be true. He's fully God and he's fully man. You gotta see how big this incarnation is. 
Like he wants people to see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I know this gets a little theological here. We've got some heresy and we're talking about these things. Here's my concern for you is that in the, in the busyness of our lives, especially in these weeks, we'll put Jesus over there away in a manger and then we'll try to go through all this on our own and forget just how big he really is. Do not let Jesus be small in your life this Christmas. Do not let the person of who he is and how he wants to work in your life and the things he wants to do, do not in your busyness or even in the confines of your own thinking, keep yourself from realizing how big he is. Don't let him be small this year. Here's, here's a, we may struggle to believe the theology of this. Like for some of us, we may struggle to believe the theology of all of this. Like we might go, fully God, fully man, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't even see how that could happen, how did God come, it just doesn't, just doesn't make sense, how does a virgin have a bait, like I don't get it, and we wrestle with some of this. If you have challenges believing some of this, can I encourage you not to push it away just because you struggle to believe it, but instead to have faith? And you might say to me, well I can't have faith in something that I don't believe in. And, and I would say to you, if you believe in it, Completely, if you have it all figured out in your head, then you don't need faith. Isn't faith when you go, I don't get it all, but I trust you? And here's what I know. I know God well enough that if you will pray a prayer that says, God, I don't get it, but I need you to show me who you are, I think he answers those prayers. I think he reveals himself to us. And so if you're looking at this Christmas season going, you know, I don't know if I believe this. Why don't you pray a prayer that says, God, this Christmas, I'm wrestling with some of this. Will you make yourself real to me? And then set your skepticism aside long enough to say, God, in faith, make yourself, make yourself real to me. See, some of us, we struggle to believe the theology. Others of us, we struggle to believe the application. And by application, I mean like how it applies to our lives, like how it works in your life and my life. You might go, yeah, I believe this fully God, fully man, big God, incarnation, I get it all. Yeah, word became flesh, sure, I believe it. But do you live it out? And I think that's a big part of what we want to talk about today. Here's why. We, we get caught up and busy and hurried that we do little things at Christmas where we, where we forget what really matters and we push things aside. And it's just a hectic time, right? We're going to a party. We forget the food we're supposed to bring. We order the wrong thing online. We're supposed to be somewhere. We forget we're supposed to be there. Like all these different things happen. Happens to the best of us. There's a city in British Columbia planning a big big Christmas deal that they do. And so they put a notice in the newspaper so that everybody would know what was happening and what the schedule was. And they listed it all out for all the community to see. Here's the clipping from the newspaper so that you can uh, see what they said. It's the big Christmas parade, Sunday, December 1st. It's at Native Sons Hall. You kind of go down, they've got their craft fair. They've got Captain Thunder, I don't know what that is. And then look, 1115, what are they having? I think that's a typo, right? <laughs> right letters, wrong word. There's supposed to be pictures with Santa. Somebody either made a big mistake or is really funny. Like, I don't know which one. But we do goofy things at Christmas. Right? And I want to challenge you. Don't, don't just put him away in a manger this Christmas and leave him there. Somebody came up to me after the last service, and they're like, Pastor, do I have to get rid of my nativity scene? <laughs> no. <laughs> you keep it. I got, I got one in my living room. You, you keep it. Like, it's an incredible reminder that Jesus became small for us, but don't let him be small in your life. 
Like you have that nativity scene. You, you sing away in a manger. But let me challenge you with some things. The little baby came to reveal to us the big God. And don't miss that. The whole reason the little baby came was so that we could see the big God. That's John's purpose. Even though he probably knew the story better than anybody else, that's why he wrote what he wrote. Let me show you just two things that I think he wants us to see. And if you do have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 1 now. We're going we're to jump back to the very beginning. This is where he talks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see, number one, is that Jesus is bigger than time. Jesus is bigger than time. John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, John, John puts the beginning of Jesus' life, the, 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 the person that he was, at where he says it started when? It started in the, anybody? In the beginning, right? Not the beginning of this book. Do you know where he's going back to? He's going back to the beginning, right? What he means here is that Jesus pre-exists. Before there was anything else, there was him. There's not this place where you can go, oh, that's the starter, that's the start. He's saying, look, he was there at the beginning. And even though John is writing in, in Ephesus, a, a, a Gentile Greek city, even though he's writing in Ephesus, he takes them back to the Hebrew scriptures, right? Because when you hear the words in the beginning, you, you might not, if you're familiar with the Bible much, you, you might not go right to John chapter one. You might go to another book. You might go to Genesis chapter one, right? You ever heard that? Genesis chapter one, verse one? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you, do you think that it's a coincidence that Genesis and John both begin with the same three words? Do, do you? No, because it's not. That's good. You did good. That's good. good. You did good. Because it's not a coincidence. Right? John is tying these two things together because he wants you to see something. Je Jesus is bigger than time. Right? He's bigger than those things that we hold him to. See, Jesus is eternal. Right? Sometimes I think when we talk about Christmas, we think that at Christmas Day, that, 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 that Christmas birth that we sing about and we talk about, we think that that's when Jesus was created. Here's the deal. Jesus wasn't created. He's eternal. He's bigger than time. He was there in the beginning. And that's really important for you to grasp. I can't understand it because that's bigger than my head, but what I need to know is that his existence is something that I can't even begin to understand, because he's bigger than that. And sometimes I think we have a tendency to think that on Christmas, that's when Jesus kind of showed up. But the truth is, if you read through the Old Testament carefully, you'll see over and over again, you, you won't see the name Jesus, but what you'll see over and over again is his presence and promises that he's coming and what, what he does at work in our lives. And you even see it here in Genesis 1. We'll come back to that in a moment because Jesus is eternal. Let me tell you this then. If he's eternal, here's what it means. There has never been a time he has not been there. There has never been a time he has not been there. That's good to know about the past. He's eternal. He's always been there. And that's good to know about the hard times that you've been through. Because you've been through hard times and maybe you wondered, he, he's been there. He's never not been there. And it's really good to know because there's a chance that you'll have hard times again. True? 
there's not a chance. You're going to have hard times again. And when you do, here's what's good for you to know. Jesus is bigger than time, and he's not over there, and he's not over there. Wherever you are, he's there. He's always there. He's eternal. And when you go through those hard times, know this, he's there with you. For some of you, this Christmas is a hard time. Please know, if Jesus has always been there, then he is always there for you. If Jesus has always been there, then he's always there for you. That's important because there's going to be a moment where you're going to go, I wonder if he's there. At some point, life's going to bring something your way. It's going to pull you in, and you're going to think, how am I going to get out of this? And it's good for you to know he's there. There's a, there's a lady in Missouri. Her husband was at work. She has a little, little child at home, and she's got one of those little Shizu puppies that she's had for a while named Stonewall. The dog's name is Stonewall because he doesn't move for anybody or anything he doesn't want to. Dog just kind of sits there, you know, as little puppies. She also has one of those robotic vacuums. I'm telling the story, right? So the robotic vacuum's going. She's in the other room. She's got this little, little baby, you know, that she's taking care of and stuff. And all of a sudden, she hears the vacuum stop working. She wonders, what happened to the vacuum? You know, the, you know what I mean, those robotic vacuums, right? Those little zzz, they just move, zzz, they just move around on their own, and zzz, just do the floor kind of thing. And she goes in, and the vacuum is right up against Stonewall. Dog just didn't move. And she's like, ah, oh, man. So she goes over to move the vacuum. When she does, Stonewall whimpers. She realizes the two of them are connected. Like that vacuum has sucked Stonewall in. She doesn't know what to do. She knows she can't go anywhere. She's got this little baby. She's not sure. She's trying to figure out what she's doing. So she calls 911. <laughs> the police show up. They're like, never had this before. And they like investigate very carefully. They turn Stonewall over in the vacuum and they find out like his tail, his tail is inside of that thing. <laughs> right? That's what you get for not moving Stonewall, right? And so what they realized, it was just like hair, right? So they were able to just very carefully like give Stonewall a little trim you know, and free him up from the vacuum. She has learned the lesson that if you're going to run the vacuum, put stone wall somewhere else, which makes sense now, right? Here's the deal, though. How many of you can relate to stone wall? Where you were just doing your thing, and all of a sudden something you expected sucked you right in, something you didn't expect sucked you right in, and you find yourself in a situation that's messy and that's dirty and that you did not want to be in, and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this? And is anybody going to help me? And here's maybe the question you're asking. Is anybody there? Can I tell you Jesus is bigger than time? And don't forget that this Christmas, because he's right there with you. Now get this. Here's how a lot of us go through Christmas. Away in a manger. And we leave him over there, right? And then when we're in this spot going, is anybody there? We forget that he's right there with you. He's walking through this with you. He's beside you all the way. And this is important because part of what, what John is pointing out to us here, when he says in the beginning, he takes you all the way back because when you go all the way back, then you can start to look from that vantage point and remember all the times he was faithful. Can you think of times when God's been faithful in your life? I guarantee you that he has been I guarantee you there's times that you have no clue about when he came in big on your behalf. You know why? Because he's always there. And so in this season, don't miss this. See, Jesus is bigger than time. Let me take you one other thought. The second thing that I'd love to show you out of this passage in John 1 is that Jesus is bigger than our limits. 
Jesus is bigger than our limits. Go back to the the scripture, John chapter one, verse one. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Three times in that verse, he refers to Jesus, but he doesn't call him Jesus, and he doesn't call him the Christ. He doesn't call him the Messiah. He doesn't call him the Savior. He doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't call him the thought, and he doesn't call him the deed. He calls him the what? The word. And of all the things that John could call him, why would he call him that? Why would he choose to call him the word? There's there's a powerful thing that's going on there when he says that. For the Greeks that are reading what John's writing, they use that same term. They they talk about the word in their Greek philosophy. But it has this idea of like a force or of like a power. And John's trying to tell them, no, 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 you don't have that right. That's why he says in the beginning, because he takes them back to the Hebrew concept, and he wants them to see what he means when he calls Jesus the word. And part of what he wants them to see is that Jesus is not limited by things. Like If we're saying that Jesus is bigger than our limits, it's good for us to know that he's not limited by things. And you go, well, what, what do you mean? Well, whatever that is in your life that seems to be a limit, if it's finances, or if, it, if it's opportunity, if it's disappointment, if, it, if it's people, if it's health, if it's, if it's age, whatever you're looking at, you're going, I seem to be limited by this. Remember that Jesus is not limited by those things. You would say, how do you know, Chad? I would say, because he's the word. And you'd say, well, why is that a big deal? Go back with me to Genesis chapter one, right? Because that's what John wants us to do. He says, in the beginning. He wants us to think about Genesis chapter one. And so he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You've heard that before, right? And then Genesis 1 says this, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God flipped the switch, and there was light. Is that what it says? No, it says, and God screwed in the light bulb, and there was light. Is that what it says? No, what's it say? It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light that was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Do you you see how he did it? He, He didn't flip a switch. He didn't screw in a light bulb. When he created, he did it through the power of his, anybody? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was that creative power. The, the word is what, is what made it happen. In, in, in the Hebrew, where you get down here with the things that we're talking about when it says that God, God spoke these things, it's this word debar. It has more to do with just the words that you hear, but it has this built-in action that it's words that then bring action forth. It's words that, that create something. It's words that do something, and that's who Jesus is. Right? Look what the Bible says. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he, what's that word there? For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. See, that's why it says that in the beginning was the word, because in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus, the word, is where this creative power came from. He is the creator of all things. You say, how do you know, Chad? Because when I go back to John chapter 1, verse 3, after John has said, in the beginning was the word, he says this, verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Who is the creator of all things? 
Jesus, who John says is the, the word. Look, if Jesus created everything, then he can do anything. If Jesus created everything, then he can do anything. I say that because for many of you at Christmas, you go, away in a manger. And you leave him there, and then you go, man, how am I going to do this? How's this going to get done? How, how's this, how's this going to be taken care of? How am I going to move past this limit? And you leave him over there when he's actually the one who created everything and can do anything. Does that make sense for six of us? Like, this is powerful. <laughs> this is so key to understand. My question to you is, are, are you limiting him in your life? This Christmas, make him big. Believe that he can do work in your life. He's the God who loves you enough to do that, let me push a pause button and maybe take a little sidetrack here too. You know what's interesting about this is all of that lets us know that we're made in the image of God, right? So if God created with his word, do you think our words have power? Our words have power, scripture says of life and death. They have the power to build people up or to tear people down. I can, I can tell you there's certain people that when I see them in my life, the first thing that comes to my mind is these are the words they spoke to me, good or bad, right? Anybody else? Because those words are powerful things. The reason I encourage you with that is because your words are powerful things. And there will be moments in the next two weeks when people are together, when busyness happens, when you celebrate in certain ways, that your words, I think, have even extra power because of the circumstance and the setting and the environment that you're in. So make sure that the words that you speak to your family, to your friends, even to the person who is taking far too long in the checkout line in front of you, are words of life, because your words have power. Jesus comes with, with no limits, and he's not limited by things. And then can I, can I show you something else that's interesting? Go back to John 1.1, right? This is, this is our text today. This is what we're looking at. John 1.1 says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. word was with God, and the word was God. Which, which one is it, John? Was he with God, or was he God? Because I'm having a hard time figuring out how he, how he can be both. In fact, a lot of people do. Like, was, was he with God, or was he was God? Is he, is he with God, or is he is God? I'm trying to understand that. And John looks at you and says, yes. If the answer is yes, because that's exactly what I want you to see here. There's something that's hard for us to grasp. Have you ever heard the concept of the Trinity? Have you heard this term before? It's a theological term that we use where scripture talks about we serve one God, but in scripture, he, he shows himself, he reveals himself. We understand that he's one God. The language we use is he's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You've heard that before, right? And I'll also tell you this, there's certain people who want to tell you and explain the Trinity to you, and they'll say, hey, I've got it all figured out. If they say they had that all figured out, then you know for sure that they don't. Isn't that true? Like, it's a mystery. We, we don't, we, our minds can't fully comprehend it, I think, until we get to heaven, and we see it and experience it. We go, oh, okay, because my little pea brain is not made to comprehend that. But one of the things he's saying to us is that Jesus was there at the beginning, and the word was with God. 
If, if you dig in, what he's really saying there is in the fact that he was with God, he says that he was, that he was like God, not like a God, but, but that he and God were, were made of the same stuff. You could translate it, what God was, the word was also. Like, like the, the, they're, the, they're the same thing. That you can't say that one's less or more than the other. And that's important because sometimes I think we, we do like a little hierarchy with, with God in our head. Like we've got God the Father and we've got Jesus the little son. Have you ever, th- have you ever heard somebody say it like that? Sometimes you almost get the feeling that God is on the varsity team and Jesus just, just barely made JV, right? Don't you get that feeling sometimes? He's God, but he's just JV God right now. He might get, he might get it later. John's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. He was, he was with God. What God is, the word is. And he says this, and this is important to grasp. He says not only was he with God, but, but he is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we, we could dig into all the theology of this, but here's, here's what I want you to see and understand. When he says this, he's saying, you've got to see this. They're in perfect relationship. Like, like the, this, this Trinity thing, he, he was with God, and he is God, and they're in this perfect relationship with each other. Some, some Bible translations will even translate it and say that he was with God, and he and God were face to face. Like, they have this perfect relationship. Now, there's all kinds of theological paths that we could go down here, but as I prayed about this, I thought the thing that God wants us to see out of this is that Jesus is not limited by relationship. And that's really important at Christmas because one of the things that sidetracks us the most in the holiday season is the relationships we have with other people. True? For, for some of us <laughs> that don't want to admit it. Like our relationships play such a critical part here. And look, Jesus is not limited by relationship. He knows and models for us exactly what relationships should look like. And that's good for some of us to think about. Because for a lot of us at Christmas, you know what we do? You ready for this? Away in a manger. And we leave him over there. We, we, we pull him out of the manger when things go wrong. And we're like, God, I need you to fix this. Or God, I need you to help me with this. Or God, I need you to show up in this way. Or God, I know I shouldn't have ordered it so late, but can you perform a, a, a miracle of delivery, God, right? <laughs> like then we pray. But so many times our interaction with other people, we take that on ourselves. And we fail to bring him into our relationships with our spouses and with our parents and with our kids and with our coworkers and with our family and with Aunt What's-Her-Name that you're just hoping doesn't make it on Christmas Day. And we forget that not only does he want to be a part of that, but that he knows exactly how relationships are supposed to work because he's in perfect relationship. And they're modeling that for us. Look, if Jesus knows perfect relationship, you can trust your relationships to him. Isn't that true? If Jesus knows perfect relationship, then you can trust your relationships to him. He knows how relationships should work. And so to say, God, this, this, and I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where it might be, where you're feeling a little bit of tension going into this holiday season. But what if you said, Jesus, would you be big in my relationships this Christmas? Like, would you be the one who guides and directs me? Because he knows what that perfect relationship should look like. And he can help and he can guide you in this. And you would, you would say to me, yeah, that's cool, Chad. But here's the deal. What, what about restoration? Like, like, what about when a relationship is not good? 
Or what about when someone pushes that relationship away on me? It's a two-way street, right? What do I do there? Can I tell you, if anybody knows about trying to bring restoration to broken relationship, don't you think it's Jesus? Do you remember this book? We get three chapters into this book, and man's relationship with God is broken because man pushes him away. And you know what the rest of this book is? The whole rest of this book is how God goes to great lengths to restore that relationship between God and man. If anybody knows anything about broken relationships, don't you think it's Jesus? Why'd he come in the first place? The whole reason that he came in the flesh was so that you and I could know right relationship with him. And here's what's so key. If you're in a spot where you're dealing with some kind of broken relationship, especially in this season, remember this, that before your relationships can be right horizontally, they have to be right vertically. Okay, so first you say, God, I wanna make sure my relationship is right with you. For some of you, that's, that's surrendering to him, that's asking for forgiveness, that's seeking some kind of change in your life, but it's not until it's right vertically that it can be right horizontally. And then can I also tell you this? It's sometimes even when you're right vertically, other people won't let it be right horizontally. And that's, that's, that's not because God fails. That's because people are sinful. But can I tell you this? God wants to know how he can help you. He's not only gonna judge you in that relationship, not the other person. Like He's gonna, he's gonna ask you about what you did, but he wants to help you to navigate that as you trust in him. So you do what you can, and you take the steps that are right, and you make sure that you do the right things, and that you don't limit Jesus and keep him from being big in your life, because he's bigger than time, so he's right there where you are. And he's bigger than things, so he's not limited. He that created everything can do anything. And also know this, if you're struggling in a relationship in your life, you can make Jesus big in your life because he knows just how relationships are supposed to operate. John says to us, I want you to see that the incarnation is big. In fact, go back to this. I want to show you just, just one last thing. John chapter one, verse one. And then let me read verse two to you too. John, John one, and, one and two. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. Do you see how he bookends it there with in the beginning on either side? And then in verse two, it's interesting because it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. Doesn't it sound like he's repeating himself? Doesn't it sound like he's repeating himself? Do you know why it sounds like that? Because he's repeating himself, <laughs> right? Why do you repeat yourself? You repeat yourself for emphasis. You repeat yourself because you want people to know, hey, hear what I'm saying to you. Don't miss what I'm saying to you. Like, have you ever, you ever been with somebody and they're telling you a story and they're like, look, I couldn't believe it. Like, we sat down in this restaurant. They brought this huge plate of food out. I looked at it. I thought, there's no way that he's going to be able to eat that. And he sat there and he ate the whole thing. And then they look at you and they go, he ate the whole thing. Like, to emphasize it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're having lunch, you're like, there was this lady sitting next to me, and I looked over, and she fell asleep, and she slept through the whole sermon. She slept through the whole sermon. <laughs> like you repeat something to emphasize it. And John says, look, in the beginning was the word. And like the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. What he's saying here is, do you see how big he is? Like he's big, but he's so big. Like, he ate the whole thing big, right? He says, don't miss this. 
Because what you're going to be tempted to do, away, right? Don't leave him away in a manger. That's why I like the last verse of that song that we sang. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay. Lord, help me to go through this. Help me to make you big in my life this Christmas because you're not limited by time. That means you're right there where I am. And you're not limited by things. It means you can do anything because you created everything. And really, for some of you, what you need to hear is that the one who knows perfect relationships can come into your relationships and be big in your life this Christmas. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would please, whether you're in this room or you're in auditorium too, or even if you're watching this on a screen somewhere, listening to this somehow. That in this moment you would recognize that if there's a God who's that big, wouldn't it be right for us to worship him? Wouldn't it be right for us to say, I think we talked about this the last couple weeks, wouldn't it be right for us to say, God, I give you my life. Like I've tried to hold on to things on my own, but I can't do it anymore. Maybe for some of you, this is a moment where you need to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Maybe you need to say, Jesus, I, I, I give you that steering wheel of my life. I, I make you my Lord. Maybe for some of you, it's just to say, God, I need to know that you're there. God, I need to know that you can do anything. God, I need to know that you can be at work and big in my life, even in this relationship. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to lead us in a prayer. And then the worship team's going to lead us in a song that, that sings praise to God. In fact, it starts with the words, he was the word at the beginning. Right, back, right out of John 1.1. And if you need in some way to say, Jesus, help me to allow you to be big in my life this Christmas, would you let that be your prayer? Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your word that speaks right to where we are in our lives. And God, may we not make you small this Christmas and push you aside and, and forget that it's really all about you. But may you be big in our lives this year. And with that in mind, we sing to you. We sing to your wonderful, your beautiful, your powerful name. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this song of praise together. You were the word at the beginning. One with God
thank you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, Jesus. May we not make you small in our lives this year, but may we make you big. May we see that you are always there, able to do everything, and capable of leading us in the relationships in our lives. Lord, thanks for your word. May it bring life to us this week. As we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.